Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome to the Commission Podcast. My name is Jed Robine. I'm the founder of Pilgrim Way Ministries. And with me, as always, is my brother and friend, Pastor Eric Teitelman from House of David Ministries. Great to see you, Eric. Yes, same. Great to have you all joining with us again on our podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Eric and I are excited. We have another guest on our show. And so joining us on the program is a friend and a brother, Chaplain Tim Buffalo. Great to have you here, sir. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. God bless you both. We're excited to get to know you a little bit and have our listeners get to know you. Amen. Um, and so Chaplain Buffalo is, he goes by Chap T, so we'll call him that on this program. And he is the chief field chaplain of the Dharma Task Force in the greater national capital region. And so we're excited to introduce him and get to know him a little bit on this program. In future episodes, make sure you tune in as well, because Chap T will be joining us with Donnie Williams, who you heard last episode give his story. We want you to get to know these guys, and then the four of us are going to dive into the topics related to division in the church, racism, yes. uh, ethnic hatred, and how that is antithetical to the gospel of the kingdom, and how do we live this out in a different way in our time together as the people of God. So, That's right. Great to have you guys. Uh, Chap T, the first question we want to dive in is maybe you could just give us the, the broad strokes of your journey in your early days. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And when you came to the Lord? We'd love to hear that, sir. Oh, okay. I'm from Washington, D.C., born at D.C. General Hospital and was raised in uh, what we call East of the River, Congress Heights community. Went to school there from grade school up to junior High and once I graduated, graduated junior high, my, my parents decided to move into Maryland right across the line, and so I finished up uh, in Southern uh, Maryland in Prince George's County at uh, Suitland High School. Ended up getting away from the area. As being a DC boy, I, I, I guess some of us, you know, if we if we get the opportunity to see what the other side looks like, we we run to the other side. So. Hmm. Didn't want to go to school here. My mother is mad at me to this day because I got a scholarship to John Hopkins. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be around here. So I ended up going to school in New Hampshire, uh, Ringe, as a matter mm. of fact, at Franklin Pierce University. Uh, fast forward, came back uh, home, ended up being homeless for two and a half years. And that was an interesting period in my life where God met me at that time. I actually... I uh, accepted Christ uh, at age 13. But, you know, a, a, as we say, young people, you know, in, in the church, you know, what do they really know? You have to have an experience mm. with the Lord before you really come to a place to make a commitment. That's true. And for me, that commitment was at 19, coming out of the streets. I'm not going to get into the history of how I, I got there, you know, coming back from college, but I was there. But But what's important about that period in my life was that the devil was very active in trying to destroy my life. And it was one particular incident. And I'm, and I'm telling a testimony that's really not mine. It, it, it was one of the youth leaders because it really impacted him. You know, I wanted to stay with him. We, we had stayed with him for the weekend and wanted to stay with him again. And um, he had gone out of town, but I didn't know that. And I'm hopping over the fence. Well, he lived on the bottom level of a house that uh, a senior 
man owned and the senior man heard this ruckus and noise. And uh, as the story goes, he had been mugged before, so he slept with a shotgun next to his bed. And so he hears this noise, okay? And I had hopped over that fence, I think, about two or three times, dead or winter, it was February, hoping that Phil, you know, would, would eventually come home, you know, and give me a place to sleep for the night. And so I think I had hopped the last time, and uh, his landlord peeked out the door, but the first thing he did was stick the shotgun out the door and wow. aimed it at my head. Wow. And as he, as he reared that shotgun, you know, you got a rear shotgun, okay, and take aim. And as he reared that shotgun, he tells the story. He tells Phil, and, and I mean, Phil, you know, tells the story to a youth pastor, and that's where I get it from. And, and he rears his shotgun, and something says to him, don't fire, call out. And so he goes, who is there? Who's that at my fence line? Scared the heck out of me. And I'm like, you know, hey, um, you know, my name is Tim Buffalo. I'm a friend of Phil's. I was just trying to, you know, see if he was home. Phil ain't here. He's gone for the weekend. Get away from my house. And <laughs> took a beeline out of there. Ended up sleeping at the uh, Fort Todd Metro Station. Woke up the next morning, okay, and, and was going to make my way back to the church that we were attending. And as I come up out of the station alcove and start to walk up on the sidewalk, I see a car sitting on the side of the road with keys ignition. And now that's my part of the testimony. Okay. Um, and, and as I spy this car sitting there with the keys ignition, the devil spoke to me plainly and said, there's your ticket out. Wow. Okay. But thank God for his grace because the Holy Spirit said, but if you take that, your life will never be the same. And it literally scared the living daylights out of me. So the, the only thing that I knew to do, okay, I didn't stay, I didn't tarry, I hot-footed it to the church, okay? And when I arrived, I was met by the secretary and she said, you need to get your tail upstairs. And I'm like, okay, what did I do? She says, Pastor Petroselli wants to see you. And he was a youth pastor at Evangel Temple at the time. Um, and so I go up to his office, you know, and he's on the phone. He spins around in his chair. He sees me. He gives me this strong look, and he tells me to park it in the chair. He finishes his call, and then he turns around again. But this time, I caught a tear in his eye, and he looked at me. He said, Tim, I have no doubt that you are a leader. My concern is whether or not you're going to lead people to heaven or lead them to hell. Wow. And, and that broke me as a young man. Because most certainly, I'm not trying to lead nobody to hell. <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do with a statement like that. But, and of course, he then begins to tell the story, okay, that Phil told him about how, you know, I wasn't promised that morning. And it was only by the grace of God, okay, that I'm still here. But, but for Pastor Petroselli and for Phil, it was impacting because... They knew this landlord's story. This landlord's story wasn't the type of guy, you know, to call out. He had been mugged. He was afraid living in, in the house where he was. Okay. And so his inclination was to shoot first, ask questions later. Sure. But he tells the story that something said to him, call out. Hold and up. we know that something was the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, and, and so from that point, you know, I recommitted my life and it, it was a great How old spin, were you at this time? 19. 19 years old 19. when you're hopping the fence. 19. 
and God intervenes supernaturally okay. to preserve you. He said, I have another plan for your That's life. Right. So. <laughs> wow. Death ain't it. Okay. You know, and of, and of course, as I look back over the years and, and I tell this story and, and, and God has brought me through many a challenge, I, I recognize that that point, okay, not only was a turning point, but it, it was the, the time that God placed his seal upon my life and, and literally told the devil, you're not going to get this one. Okay. And, and my mother had gone through, you know, significant efforts to keep me off the streets. And, you know, most certainly she didn't want her boys to become victims. Okay. To, to the streets and the streets back in those days, are not like what we see today, but it was treacherous nonetheless. And so, you know, education was a thing. My father pushed two things you're going to do. You're going to stay in this house. You're either going to go in the military or you're going to go to school. Okay. Well, my brother went to the military. I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I tell that story because it points to God's grace and, and his destiny for life. And I've told a many a man that I've worked with, okay, you know, down and out from drugs, alcoholism, uh, chronic homelessness, that, that there is a turning point. And that turning point is when you come to recognize God's grace for your life and what mm. he planned. To do. And so from that point forward, you know, it, it was about serving God. Now, I got married, had my first child uh, at, at age 23, you know, and, and the Lord said again, I've got something you need to do. I mean, because after getting married, my thing was, well, okay, I, I got through the first bit of, of life and, and, you know, life is good. I got a wife now. I got a little girl. And and, and, and I want to pursue this American dream. And I always envision, you know, myself being the first black entrepreneur on Inc. Magazine. And, and so I pursued that with a passion, you know, but, but, but my dear wife was like, uh, are you married to the business or are you married to me? And, uh, you know, she ended up leaving for three months and taking uh, a little girl. And that was another turning point in my life because now I find myself sitting in a townhouse. We just, you know, moved from Virginia to uh, Waldorf, Maryland at the time. I'm sitting in this townhouse, no electricity, no heat. I'm eating SpaghettiOs, okay, really fuming because the way my wife did it, I mean, she, she was, was masterful. She said, I'm going to take the train to the babysitter and I'm going to work. I'll see you later. Well, she took Trelane to the babysitter, but the babysitter had a taxi cab there waiting, and then she hopped on a plane and went to New York. And so I'm just fuming, sitting in this house, saying to myself, God, I've, I've, I've tried to serve you. I've been in the church from childhood. I don't understand why you're letting this happen to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, yet again, you haven't tried to serve me. You've tried to serve your own ends and your own means. How dare you say you're trying to serve me? So yet again, as a young man, I'm looking at this experience and I'm like, okay. And the Lord began to take me through the word of God in terms of what a man's responsibility is first before him. Micah 6.8, which if you look at, we look at our patch, it's our signal code, says he is what? Shown the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require. Choir. And so even though I was bred in church and, and grew up in the church, I really didn't know who God was, you know. And with the first experience at 19, 
you know, yes, I recognize I had to get my act together. But my walk really began at that point at 23 when the Lord said, okay, are you going to serve me? You know, and I found myself broken and recognizing that all that I'd done and said to Lisa was, was, was the result of the sin, okay, that was festering in my heart. And I'm thinking, I'm doing what's right by my family, and, and I mean, I'm doing what, what, what's expected. I'm a young African-American male trying to make something of himself. I, I, I haven't done drugs. I didn't, you know, get caught up in street gangs or anything like that. I'm just not understanding why this is happening to me. And as the Lord took me through those passages in, in dealing with who a man of faith is, I recognized, God, I have been far from you, mm. even in being in the church. Um, and I remember calling Lisa that night, and, and the only thing I every call that we had prior to, okay, would end with either of us slamming the phone down. Mm. Uh, that particular night when I called, the, the first thing she heard me say was, could you please forgive me? Little did I know, the Holy Spirit had already prepared her heart. She had been on her knees praying all afternoon into the evening. And so she was shocked to hear her husband, whom she dearly loved, but, but she didn't want the compromise. She felt that, that I was looking at other things and I wasn't in the marriage. You know, I was in this fantasy of what, okay, America had to offer and what I wanted to be as an entrepreneur. And I told her, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And could you please come home? Well, she was already convinced that, would you forgive me? Mm. Got up the phone, told her sister, I'm going back home. That was 36 years ago. We celebrated our 36-year anniversary just this past July. Wow. Amen. And from that point forward, the next event, okay, that occurred, see, I'm thinking, okay, God, your grace is good, sufficient. I'm, I'm coasting. Got my wife back, got my child back. We were not a statistic, all right? But the Lord said, I have a portion ministry for you, mm. okay? And, and until you position yourself for that assignment, okay, you're still not following after my heart and what I want to do. And that was a Thanksgiving in which I found myself at a shelter, a men's shelter in our community, ministering to about 15 guys that evening, one of which was a guy that I grew up with in junior high. And actually he had saw me at the church and he kept eyeballing me. Vinny, his name was Vinny. Vinny kept eyeballing me. And I recognized him, didn't want to acknowledge that it was him. Vinny finished his meal and finally got up the nerve and he walked over to me and he says, hey, I know you. And I'm like, okay. You know, really not wanting to, to let on that I recognized him. And he said, don't you know who I am? I'm Vinny. Well, well, Vinny was one of the guys that bullied me mm -hmm. in junior high school. And so he's looking me in my eyes and he says, yeah, I'm Vinny, man. He says, you know, you're Tim Buffalo. And at the moment he said my name, he just began to break down and weep. He says, my life is broken. Wow. I've been strung out on crap. I lost my job. I lost my car. And it's just so good to see you. And, and God convicted me, <laughs> you know, it makes me cry even to this day because I knew he was saying, I have called you in this hour. How can you deny the call that I placed on your life? Mm -hmm. And he used Vinny to sort of put me in that position of recognizing that God said, this is what I want you to do. And, and I ministered not only to him, but I found myself around it 
surrounded by these men, young and old, vets, you know, men of men means men, you know, who didn't come from anything, all kinds of backgrounds. And the commonality was that they were homeless. And I knew what that looked like. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Lord really quickly established that foundation. We talk about transition. As a matter of fact, the ministry that we have administered for, for a number of years, three decades, has been about crisis and transitional ministry. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So sat down and wrote 15 programs at the, the point that my little baby girl was being born. As a matter of fact, I was in the, in the labor and delivery room with Lisa, and she's smack dab in the middle of labor, and I've got these notepads, and she says, what are you doing? I'm like, i got to write what God's put in my heart. <laughs> and so I'm writing out these programs, and I took it back to the pastor, and he said, run with it. And that's where NLAC was born, which is the founding organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and we begin to, to work in transitional ministry. We have deployed five facilities over an 18 uh, year period. We incorporated the ministry um, and set it up independently because we had established inroads and God was using us to, to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. And we, we deployed, as a matter of fact, the first transitional, faith oriented transitional facility in Southern Rome. Mm-hmm. So it's a nonprofit today. It's in para, uh, we call it parachurch, probably. It, 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 yeah. I hate that word, but I'm gonna <laughs> let you have it. <laughs> so tell tell us about the the area. You said Southern Maryland, but uh, are you covering other areas now in Maryland? What's your the, what's your the, range? And LAC's ministry quickly grew from um, that, and that was that was the early '90s. Um, and at the turn of the century, the Lord began to say again, it's time for you to stretch your, your tent cords. And so I remember that scripture in Isaiah. And we recognized that because we were doing a lot of public safety oriented work, we were working with returning citizens. We were working with men coming, well, I said that returning citizens, men coming out of prison, mm-hmm. you know, guys who were on supervisory status, charges of the court, you know, various different circumstances where there was municipal activity in the lives of men and women. And you had to sort of balance that type of discipleship with helping them to extricate themselves from, from this man's system. We, we recognized that, you know, we were going to have to do some, some credentialing and, and expand the focus of the ministry. So we did some research and determined that chaplaincy offered a, a very credible platform of ministry that the state would recognize. And at the same time, this was the time that Clinton was in office and there was already a lot of changes in government. Okay, we needed to, to be assured that, that the ministry wouldn't lose its integrity mm-hmm. and in terms of what God has established. And so he sort of opened the door, you know, for my commissioning. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we, we started the unit, um, began to commission other chaplains. And so the DARMO, Daystar, yeah. Advanced Response Ministerial Operations, became the second aspect of the ministry. Okay. And you mentioned you're working with men, but also are you working with women also? We work with anything and everything. Okay. If you had two <laughs> legs and you were in need, okay, we, we, we had an open door policy. Okay. And um, how many, how many uh, people through over the 30 years do you think you've actually been, do you keep track of those? Well, spe- spe- specifically between 1994 and when we actually closed the two facilities down in Charles County. We had serviced over 500 individuals and families. Okay. When you talk about crisis and transitional ministry, you're really talking about missional work that, that's street-oriented, that's community-oriented, where you really have to 
have hands-on activity mm -hmm. in dealing with the issues that uh, families are facing today. Right. And do you, and do you still keep track of the, those people that you worked with over the years? <laughs> that would not, did I not tell you how Vinny came into my life? <laughs> you did. <laughs> okay. They, and, and that's a blessing because there's never been a time and, and, and specifically the, over the, the, the period from the middle nineties to the turn of the century, there were a lot of people mm. that came to the care houses. And, and as we, adapted and, and sort of evolved to, to have a national capital region footprint as opposed to just a local Southern Maryland mm -hmm. footprint. You know, we, we, we found people beginning to come back and reach out. And so, of course, when Facebook became the big thing, I was res re resistant and reluctant. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, and, and my wife said, just, just set up a page, you know, just, just set up a page set up a page and I go back and look at it a week later and I have all of these hits from previous residents who had come through the program. And as I clicked and begin to read the messages, it was nothing but thank you, mm. Mr. Buffalo. Back then it was Mr. Buffalo. Thank you. You saved my life. Thank wow. you. Your, your program did so and so. And I keep saying to people, stop thanking me. Thank God. Amen. That's right. <laughs> I was just the vessel. But God, affirmed and showed us over the years just how powerful, okay, his hand was going to be upon us in ministry. And his, his hand has been upon our family. I mean, I, my, my grandmother was a missionary, so, mm -hmm. so I sort of inherited it. Mm -hmm. okay? it, 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 it didn't come easy. <laughs> um, and, so as, and as a matter of fact, her work was in Charles County where okay. I started. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to turn the table just a little bit. We've been talking a lot about your ministry life, but we, Jed and I just discovered that you have a very, very unique and remarkable talent. So tell us, tell our listeners about your artwork, which is stunning. I mean, absolutely stunning. And, and we'll have to get the link to the website where they can actually go look at some of these am really amazing portraitures. I really want you to talk about that for a moment. Buffalo Graphics Companies, BGC. I mean, they, they, and it was the company I started in college. Okay. And it was a way that, that I could pay for my lunches and a, and a part of my tuition. And, uh, you know, so when I came back from school, it, it sort of stuck. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, when Lisa and I got married, I was really pushing you know, trying to create that brand and, and build a business that would sustain our families. And so, you know, my, my, my craft is, is uh, art, um, but my specific discipline is scientific and medical illustration. Mm. Well, you um, did some amazing portraits because the Million Man March that you showed us was absolutely stunning in a, you call it a graphite. Technique. Carbon dust. It's carbon, carbon dust. dust. Okay. Yeah. Powerful. I'm just powerful. I, I got to get, I got to get one of those. So. That's amazing because, it, you know, because God and, and Donnie, you know, when we spoke with him on the last episode, you know, he was sharing about his photography skills and, you know, the Lord gives us these gifts. They, they are absolutely gifts from him. That's right. And he, he wants to use them for his glory. So we, we thank you. So check out uh, his artwork, uh, Chaplain T's artwork. It is absolutely stunning. You have a really powerful question about living epistles. Yes. So I'm going to turn it back to you, Jed. I want you to ask that question, frame that question. Sure. I just want to make an observation as we've been listening to your story. You made a, a statement about, you know, I, I believe it was when 
things were kind of breaking down with you and Lisa and the Lord kind of stepped in and you said, you know, God's, but God was teaching you through experience. And, you know, the scripture says, comfort others with the comfort you have been comforted comfort with. with. Yeah, amen. And I think about the ministry that the work, the work of the Lord has called you to, and, and he told you he had portioned this ministry for you to step into. And here you are several decades later, having lived through and leaned into that relationship with God. And you've been comforting others with having lived through an experience yourself. And God's used that to really be a blessing for, for so many people. I just want to give thanks to God for that. You Amen. know, that, that this Amen. is, this is the God that we serve. You know, he, he ransoms us. And then as you said, Eric, he, he deposits gifts and talents yes. and abilities within us. And he has a plan That's right. for our lives. And That's as we right. submit ourselves to his will to be done, we can, we can hear the stories like Chaplain T's. We can look back over a period of time and realize the faithfulness and the goodness mm -hmm. of God to work, not just in our life, but we're blessed mm -hmm. to be a blessing. And one of the scriptures that has always impacted me that I've reflected on over the years is uh, in the life of King David, Second mm. Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. Mm. And he's finally come into his, his portion of ministry, which is to be a king, 20 years on the run from Saul running all over Israel, living in caves, sleeping in the dirt. Mm. And it says, you know, a, a foreign king actually builds him a palace. Mm -hmm. And it says, and David realized that he was blessed for the sake of Israel. Mm. And we wonder, you know, how did David have the heart after God? Mm -hmm. And I think it was this understanding, or this was part of it, was, okay, I've come into my own inheritance, but this isn't about me. That's right. This is about the people that you're wanting to reach through me. And so when we're connected, as you have been in your story, Chap T, and just like King David, connected with God, who all good, perfect gifts come from the Father in heaven, when he brings us into that place of influence, the blessings that he pours into our lives are for other people. It runs through us like a conduit. That's right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with David having a palace and the blessings are to be enjoyed, but God is is wanting to shepherd and to influence and to touch yeah. the people that he's called us to have influence on for the sake of the kingdom. Yes, that's right. Um, and so I was just reflecting on some of these things as, as you were sharing your story, Chap T. And I, I guess my question to come off that observation is that what Eric referenced, if God's the author and the finisher of our faith, he's writing a story through each one of our lives, and we're living epistles. And my question for you is, what do you think the message of your life and your story is to the world? To answer your question, I want to go back to uh, the, the key point that you made, okay? It, it is about God's ransoming us. And, and see, for, for, for my testimony, that ransom began with him absolutely saying to the devil, his life is not yours. And then stepping me through that process of, of affirming and saying, I have bought your life with a price. You came to me at 13, you know, and I remember that experience, you know, because, because of youth leaders, they called my mother and said, hey, Timmy got saved, Timmy got saved, you know, and she was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you don't see him at home, you know, and, and my grandmother used to say, Every time we would go, I would go to visit her specifically, she would say, Timmy, 
Have you given your heart to the Lord? And it used to irritate me to no end. And she started saying that from age 13 to the time she passed. She passed at 94, and it's been some years. And, and Lisa and I had been, been well married for good little peace and well established in ministry. And I would never give her an answer. And, and, and I remember going to her gravesite one day and, and saying, Grandma, I don't understand what I was thinking about because what I should have told you is, yes, Grandma, and your legacy of faith is living in me. This is what God is doing in the community that you were a missionary in. Amen. And this is what God has fulfilled. Not only, okay, had, was your house, okay, a house where drunks and addicts could come and receive comfort because she used to pull them off the streets, mm. okay? Give them a meal and then put them to work, okay? We had had established two facilities, 17 beds, okay, in that same community. And many had come to those facilities and, and, and it just dawned on me, why didn't you say, yes, your grandson is following God? Mm -hmm. Yes, he wow. has given his heart to the Lord. Beautiful, amen. This has been such a great episode, Chap T. It's great to hear your story. The 50,000 foot flyby. So thank you for being with us and sharing it Amen. with us and, and our listeners. And we are excited to continue this conversation with Donnie Williams and Eric Teitelman, myself, and Chaplain T. We will be diving into some conversations around racism, yes, division will. in the church, and how do we move forward as the people of God in a very challenging time that we find ourselves in in American history, but adversity creates an opportunity. Yes, it and does. And God's giving us an opportunity as, as His family and His people to step in with His message, the gospel of the kingdom. So thanks for listening to the Commission Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and you'll be notified on the future release of other episodes. And we look forward to doing this with you again here in the near future. God bless you. enjoy this podcast from Commission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.